This is your coffee break. Hello friends, it's Sarah here again. I am back to talk about writing and creativity with you, and I have with me today a very special guest. Today we're speaking with Ginger Moran, who has just all of these wonderful, amazing credentials behind her name. Um, She has a PhD in literature and creative writing from the University of Houston, and she is also a certified life coach and a creativity coach. Um, She's published extensively, she's been nominated for prizes. Ginger, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. I am so thrilled to be here. Well, I am so thrilled to have you here. You have a lot of really cool writing credentials under your belt. And I would like to just start today's interview off by asking your own personal writing journey. I'd love to hear a little Mm -hmm. bit about that. Okay, yeah. Well, I'd love to talk about it. So, (laughs) Uh, You know, I think that uh, when I look back on it, even though I didn't know it at the time, I think I was just born a writer. Uh, and I think that sometimes we we realize that uh, mm. pretty far into the journey. I love to read. I love to be read, too. I There was nothing better in the world than the trip to the library with my mother. Um, and this is like a long time ago, and she didn't drive, so it involved a bus ride and like a transfer, and uh, and we didn't care because we just came <laughs> home with these huge piles of books. So I think I just always loved. Uh, I've always loved books, uh, and I was always telling stories in my head. And I don't know if everybody does that, but I think a lot of writers did that as kids, and was kind of a daydreamy kid. Um, so now when I look back on it, it's like, oh yeah, but, um, I didn't catch on until pretty late. I wasn't one of those people that was like, you know, writing novels at 12. <laughs> I just, I didn't even get it until like late into my twenties when somebody said, well, you know, why don't you try writing a book? It's like, write a book. Are you kidding? So it was, it, it came as a big surprise to me that I was a writer. So it was, it was a delightful surprise. <laughs> And pretty soon after that, I, you know, just dove in headfirst and went to the University of Houston and got my PhD in literature and creative writing and, um, and just went from there. There's something really beautiful about this, the realization that you were a writer and it being a delightful surprise to you, even though it maybe hadn't occurred to you that that's maybe what you were meant to do. When, when you started writing, what was the very first thing that you wrote? So I wrote um, I wrote short stories at the beginning because there was just no way I felt like I could take on a novel. I was so in awe of novelists, mm. uh, and I just didn't think there was any way in the world I could take that on. So I wrote short stories. Probably the early short stories were of like bad breakup stories. Oh yeah, Those yeah. Things <laughs> were just <laughs> driven to write. Luckily, I didn't write bad poetry about them. I wrote bad short stories about them. I feel sure. But um, <laughs> so I worked in short story for a really long time at University of Houston. Our um, dissertation had to be creative, um, and I knew I didn't want to do a story collection. So I took a short story of mine that I really liked and started. Um, exploring it to see if there was more to it. Mm -hmm. Um, There was, so that actually turned into my first novel, um, The Algebra of Snow, the one that was nominated for a pushcart prize. 
Okay, I want to ask how it felt to be nominated for that prize, but I also... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just because it's something that a lot of writers dream about is being nominated for a very prestigious prize like that. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah, I have to say, you know, like most things in life, it's mixed. Yes. (laughs) It was was nominated by an editor at Doubleday. Um, It was nominated for an editor's, uh, Pushcart Editor's Choice Award, which is is, is a wonderful award, of course, but it's a little bit of a booby prize because oh. it's, it's uh, editors at the commercial houses have the opportunity to nominate a book that they feel is really fine literary quality, but that they don't think is going to sell in huge numbers. So oh. they didn't actually take the book, but that editor did honor it with by nominating it for a pushcart prize. And that book was agented by uh, Lisa Bancroft. And I got a lot of terrible rejections, you know, just like right out of hand. But I also got a number of really, you know, in the writing world, high level rejections really matter. <laughs> so I got yeah. a lot of really high level rejections of, um, you know, commercial houses saying, we love this book. You know, it's really beautiful writing, um, but we don't think it's going to go commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and then luckily, one person kind of, codified that by nominating it for pushcart price so um so it was you know i i'm i'm very happy about it i'm not at all i i don't have mixed feelings about it i'm very happy it was nominated that's so fascinating and thank you thank you for your willingness to talk about it. i feel like it's a really both beautiful and vulnerable thing to be able to talk about that so i i appreciate that I'm so curious. So you you have a you have a PhD in literature. You're you're very very qualified to talk about this. And I'm so curious, your own experience with this prize and with your first novel really really speaks to the fact that there's a um, a, a tension between uh, mm-hmm. creating you know works of literary merit, works of art versus creating commercially successful books. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if uh, if there's a question here. I would just like to hear your your thoughts on that a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I actually really love to talk about this because I have, I've been on this road for a very, very long time now. And there were times when I felt just, you know, it really made me mad that literary fiction, which is what I write, wasn't as warmly embraced by the commercial establishment as I thought it should be. Right. Um, But... I have kind of gotten over myself, which is, I think, one of the virtues of being on this road for a really, really long time, because uh, <laughs> I, I happen to really love mystery novels. So I actually really love plotted books, and I sort of um, had to come to the realization that literary fiction can be really beautiful, uh, can have really beautiful language, it can be absolutely fascinated with character, but it also really does have to have a plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it was really a challenge for me. I had to really put myself through a whole tutorial because that's not really what we learned in um, you know, creative writing um, in a creative writing program, that's not necessarily what you learn. Right. Is you know how to make something that is going to be commercially appealing, which you know this is 
a very reduced definition of it, but most commercial fiction is highly plotted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've actually, the novels that I've written since then, um, Dallas for Snow definitely has a plot to it, but it only has one character, so it's a very internal plot. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. It's really, there's, you know, when people ask me about the book, I say, well, you know, it's uh, a woman mathematician alone in the Adirondacks in winter, so she's the only character, so not a lot happens. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot that happens. People have called it a psychological thriller, but it is all an internal kind of uh, adventure. But I have really come to um, really bring plot to bear. So most of the things that I've written since then are mysteries. I'm actually writing a spy thriller now. Oh my god! Which is also highly literary. So it's extremely you know character dependent. Um, but I think that it's really important that you tell a story, you know, even if you're fascinated by language and character. Um, so I, I, I've, I've switched over. That's so fascinating to me. Um, because I had a very, I had a very similar experience. I don't have my PhD, but I did major in English and creative writing. And you're absolutely right. Nowhere along my educational journey was commercial success um, even addressed. We learned um, the mechanics of beautiful writing. I learned a lot of poetry. And and just for our audience, so that we're all on the same page, um, can you explain a little bit what you mean by highly plotted? Yeah, so that would be most genre fiction, um, thrillers, mystery novels, sci-fi. They um, some, sometimes the like highly um, like Stephen King, um, most highly plotted fiction. And this is a very reductionist kind of definition, really. But highly plotted fiction is much more interested in what happens Mm. than who um, is doing it. Now, some of them really blend the two. And to me, those are the really, those are my favorite books, are the ones that that blend the two. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes people who are really into plotting, um, and sometimes this happens in genre fiction. They're not really interested in character development or in language. Hmm. Um, and literary fiction tends to be much more interested in uh, language and the character. Sometimes, you know, to the detriment of actually having a plot or hmm. a story to it. <laughs> so, you know, you say you switched over, and I really, really kind of appreciate you you telling us about that too. Um, it's so hard to sort of move your art from one situation mm-hmm. to another. Tell us a little bit, you said you're writing a spy thriller right now. Yeah. Um, tell us what that switch looked like for you. <laughs> well, it's, you know, probably most people who read this book would say, well, she didn't really switch because I am still absolutely just dead interested in character. Yes. So I'm much more interested in math than anything else. Um, And that's quite clearly the case. But now I have characters kind of in motion. So my character now is not, um, this main character is not a a spy, but she's married to a spy, which um, gave me a chance to do, the themes of my book always have to do with how do you know what you know? It's like, mm. what? how do you know that the things that you believe in are true? Um, and that's just a theme that fascinates me. 
Um, you know, how do you know the stuff that you, you know, your political beliefs, you know, your moral values, how do you know they're the right ones? Um, and so, you know, that actually becomes kind of the heart of the mysteries that people are dealing with. In this case, she knows nothing about her husband. I actually have a cousin who's married to somebody in the CIA, and I interviewed her about what it's been like to be married to a spy because she literally... Uh, she can't go to Langley. She oh has to drop him off at the gate. She can't go to Christmas parties, office Christmas parties with spies. Nobody's allowed in. <laughs> <laughs> Man, she told me the best stuff. I mean, he's he, he'll be gone for months at a time, and she does not know where he is, literally. She cannot call him. Wow. Uh, so it's really a fascinating life. To me, it was much more interesting to tell the story from the point of view of the wife of the spy yeah. than of the spy. Um, and she has, she's involved in intrigue. My character is involved in intrigue that does involve him and what he's involved in. But at the heart of it for me is, you know, how do you deal with that? They have a whole mess of kids. Uh, it's like, what do you do when, you know, you have five children with somebody that you don't know what he does? Gosh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's like, the stuff that happens in the book, the stuff, you know, the political and, you know, international intrigue is interesting to me. But that is the question that actually interests me. <laughs> it's like, how, how do you, you know, how do you trust that right. this person is who you think he is? Absolutely. Oh, that's fascinating to me. <laughs> There's so many rich things in here, too, that I want to talk about. And, um... One of the things I'm really interested in is um, you sort of noted that the difference between the highly plotted and then the more literary is sort of the development of character and the character arcs. And I've noticed, though, that if it's the if it's the plot that really sells the book, I think it's the characters that make people really fall in love with it and cultivates a, a retention or a readership. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and I've even noticed that in my own work, it's people, you know, whatever the plot's there, but I get emails and I get tweets that people say, I'm in love with your characters. And that's, I think, at the end of the day, what resonates. I agree completely. And as I said, I think the really great books, I, I really have come to have a deep and abiding appreciation for Agatha Christie. And it's because, you know, she's the most widely read author in the world. And, you know, who doesn't want to be that? But it's because, you know, the stories obviously are plot are plotted there, have mysteries, but it's just, you know, Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple are just absolutely riveting characters. Um, so to me, the, that is the hat trick, <laughs> you know, a character plot and, you know, a story that really engages people that you are, you know, you've, you've just got them moving with you, um, and committed to you. And, and you're right. I think it is. That's what wins the day. My one of my best examples of a highly plotted, um, book. And, and movie series that works really well as the born series mm, yes because, and I think what works about that and what it lifts it above most thrillers is that it has to, it's the born identity he doesn't know who he is and that's the thing that catches you from the beginning you know mm -hmm. this is a, you know somebody who's in the you know floating totally improbably in the north sea <laughs> face down with a bullet in him and very improbably somebody sees him and rescues him and has no idea who he is 
So then you, you know, you marry that question of identity, uh, which is, you know, fundamentally the character question with a really very tense plot. And then you've really got something going. Absolutely. So sort of the difference between the algebra of snow and then your later, more highly plotted novels. The first novel that you wrote, um, we, we talk a little bit online in writing communities about being a plotter versus a pantser. So yeah. yes. <laughs> did you, uh, did you, uh, and for those of you listening, if you're not familiar with the terminology, being a pantser is essentially sort of writing by the, the seat of your pants and not really knowing where your story's going, but just kind of being along for the ride. Did you uh, pants your first novel and then plot the subsequent ones or? Well, um, I just have yeah. to say right up front, and um, when I work with writers, I confess right out of the box that I am an absolute terminal pantser. I cannot <laughs> write a book that I've plotted. I now actually try to have a kind of um, outline sketched in, but I I love to discover what my characters are going to do. Uh, I, and I, it would just take a lot of fun out of it for me if I knew ahead of time what they were going to do, because they're always pulling shenanigans. So <laughs> I, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I told you not to do that. Uh, and, and they did it. It's like, ah, oh, stop. But uh, <laughs> I know it makes me sound like I'm over here, like completely delusional with this you know, room full of imaginary uh, no. people. <laughs> I just, I, I just, I, you know, I give up on the idea. I've tried to make myself outline, uh, and I do generally. I, I think that what I've come to understand is that my, my imagination does have an outline. It mm. has something in mind. Um, there, I'm, uh, you know, there, there's a conception in there somewhere that my conscious mind might not know about yet. Uh, so I've kind of just come to trust my imagination that it has a story, um, and I'm sort of discovering it. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you saying that so much. <laughs> and, and, and I have to say, full disclosure, I am also a pantser. And I try, I do, I've tried to outline, I've, I've made so many outlines, but I've noticed that when I write, even if I'm sticking to my outline, that I take these right turns and then all my work, all my outlining is no longer relevant. Um, yeah. And I was even wondering for a time if I needed to like better hammer in the practice, if, if I needed some kind of like pantser intervention, you know, if I... <laughs> if I if I needed someone to just like say, Sarah, we need to reinvent you. Um, but so I really appreciate you. Um... I think we should start a Pantsers Anonymous. We just, just, we just, we have, we have to admit that we have no control over that. But what really, really sticks out to me is you saying, um, your imagination maybe already has the outline and you just need to trust it and sort of blindly just follow it and and see where it takes you. I think so. Thank you. Thank you for that. That is um, the gift you have given me this day. <laughs> well, I think that there is, you know, I don't, I think sometimes we don't really talk about this or I haven't really heard people talk about it, but it's, um, um, I think there is a kind of spiritual aspect to mm -hmm. it. You have to have faith in this vision. Donald Barthelme, who was one of my teachers at the University of Houston, wrote a great essay called not, On Not Knowing mm. um, that I, I think really does talk about that experience. Not, you know, he's not talking about it so much as a spiritual experience, but I think that there is something, you know, in a sense, 
like my character has to have faith in her spy husband. I have to have faith that there's a story in there somewhere. Hmm. Um, and so far, it's, it's always been true. Uh, there was, even though it's taken me to places I totally didn't expect to go, but um, it, it was, it, it is kind of like a discovery. I just feel so much kinship with what you're talking oh, about. Good. Oh, I'm so glad. We've talked a little bit about these themes behind your writing. And so you've talked about trust and how do you know what you quote unquote know is true. When you go to build a theme into your stories, um, how, what does that look like for you? You know, I think, again, it's a, I don't know what the theme is. It's like I, over time now I can see that that's a theme that runs through almost all of the books. Um, but it, I didn't know it at the time. Mm. I didn't think about it at the time. The second book I wrote is a mystery called The Body of Summer, and it starts with a woman um, being called by her ex-husband because he's just been arrested for um He's just been taken in for questioning about a murder of a person. It turns out to be one of her graduate students. Oh, uh, so you know that just like um, it was. You know, again, that question of he's you know he the husband is a near to well and a drinker, and you know there were really good reasons why they were divorced. Um, and she just he's a pathological liar, and she just doesn't know when he says. Or, you know, that he didn't do it. She has no idea whether that's true or not. So she, it becomes a kind of epistemological problem for her. She gets involved in the mystery because she wants to, she figures this would be the one time she could know for a fact whether he was telling the truth or not. I mean, he either killed her or he hadn't. (laughs) So, So this detective novel becomes kind of epistemological journey because, of course, you have an amateur detective. You have somebody who's not in the police. You have to think of some reason why they're doing this because, of course, they can't really do it. You can't really investigate a murder if you're not in the police department. <laughs> so I had to come up with something. But that was the, the engine for the story for me was she just wanted to know once whether he was telling the truth about something or not. Uh, so... Um, yeah, so I've forgotten where I started with that. Oh, but, uh, with uh, uh, unconsciously the planting these themes, yeah. Yeah, so when I look back at it, and this is a thing, too, that I it took me a long time to really learn, is that when, you give, when you're writing a synopsis, you're not just saying this happened, this happened, this happened. You're really having to say up front, what is the theme of this story? Why does this matter? Or if mm-hmm. you're ever pitching an agent, you have to, you don't start with, you know, so-and-so, you know, from such-and-such a place, you have to say, what is driving this? Basically, uh, why, you know, why would anybody care? So I've really kind of discovered my themes by having to, you know, go through that process of pitching it to somebody. It's like, well, what matters about this book? You know, what's universal? You know, what lifts it out of the particular? Um, And maybe not everybody has an ex-husband a lion ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, you know, again, it's that question of how do you know? You know, how do you know what you know? I love that. 
And I get that question sometimes um, from writers, and it's like, how do I put a theme in? And it's, I, I, I love what you said. It's much less about shoehorning in something that you, you feel you need to uh, proselytize or preach about, yes. and more about just um, making sure that what you're writing matters in some way. That's a yes. really beautiful way of putting it. Well, I think that, you know, again, I, I taught creative writing for many, many years. Uh, and now I work with people one-on-one uh, on their books. And I would say this is the thing that most people don't know if they haven't been to graduate school in creative yeah. writing. Uh, one, it, it is a craft. You do just have to learn the craft. Um and, you know, the, the leading part of the question of the, of the craft is what is the problem? Everything has to start with a problem. There has to be a conflict and it has to really come at the very beginning of the, the book. Mm. And it's in that conflict. You know, I, I really encourage people to think of a conflict or a problem that actually really bothers them personally. Um, because then you're really going to have something that you're kind of, you're worrying over all the way through your book. Like, you know, it's like a, you know, grain of sand that you're, you know, if you were, what are those things? Oysters? Oh yeah. You're worrying over this. Like if it is something that really does bother you in life, um, and that's a theme you're weaving through your book. It's actually your your own energy is going to go into that. So it's good to just puzzle yourself with it. I absolutely love that. And I love the image of um, that grain of sand irritating you until it becomes yeah. a pearl. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's... I think sometimes people think that they have to, they're like a magician who has a mystery they're going to reveal to their readers. And that never works. That mm. always feels manipulative. If you genuinely have a mystery that puzzles you and you're taking your reader with you into that puzzle, it'll have a lot more power to it. You have to be vulnerable, really, as a writer. That's what makes a strong story. That is so awesome. I'm And I'm like taking notes here as you're, this is Thank just <laughs> so great. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned in your introduction, and then you just mentioned that you also do coaching. You do life coaching and creativity coaching. Um, and I'm so curious about um, what do, what does that look like for, for people, for the people you coach, and then for you? Um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's really been cool because, as I said, I taught creative writing at the college level at you know, many different places. I taught at a little college in Mobile, Alabama, and I taught at Fisk University for many years, and I taught at the University of Virginia. Um, And I still occasionally do courses, um, but mostly I just work one-on-one with people. Um, And I think the kind of the evolution of the business was that there may have been some point at which editors in publishing houses worked with people and really helped them learn the craft. then, you know, people, of course, do go to graduate school to learn it. They get MFAs or PhDs to really learn the craft. But, I, you know, editors, as far as I know, in publishing houses don't do it at all. I had the great good fortune of having an agent who actually mm-hmm. did it, but I don't think agents do it anymore. So, um, you know, people who want to write a book, um, I have so much admiration for them. Sometimes they think that because they want to write a book, they, and they read um, that they can just sit down and write a book. And I, I kid with them that it's sort of like, you know, if you're really good at healing your kids, 
cuts and bruises and you love hospital dramas does not mean you can go do neurosurgery. You mm -hmm. actually have to go to medical school <laughs> and learn how to do neurosurgery. You have to have the passion. You have to have some skill, but then you actually have to just learn the craft. Uh, and that can be, you know, Chaucer said, life is short, the craft so long to learn. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a, it's a never ending learning process, which for like nerdy people like me, that's great. I love <laughs> it that I never get to know it. You know, I'm always experimenting. Um, I'm always learning more. I'm always, you know, asking writers, how did you do that? And, you know, studying everything that I read, everything that I watch. Like, how did they do that? How did they do that? Uh, so, you know, I love learning. So I'm, I'm good with that. Um, but people don't understand that. In a sense, I feel like I, you know, people like me um, are kind of, we're, we're tailoring uh, you know, graduate level program to that person's specific book. Mm. So I just split, I split my time now between my own writing and coaching. And I coach people literally all around the world. Most of it is on um, um, Zoom or by phone. Um, but I literally have people in Australia, Myanmar, Guernsey, as well as all over the United States. So, um, Yes, you know, you know, three, six, sometimes year-long uh, process of, of teaching people the craft and how to write a really good book. Because there are a lot of people out there saying, oh, you can write a book in 90 days. Yeah, you can write a book in 90 days. It's really going to suck. But <laughs> if you want to write a good book, then, you know, settle in for the long haul and learn how to do it. So. Oh, my gosh. I appreciate that. So uh, when people come to you for creative coaching, it sounds like you sort of teach them the craft. What is the biggest question that people come to you with? So really, I, I think that the thing that I help people, and I can help people with this instantly, is that people um, get, they try to be in two different places in the process at the same time. And that's just a sure way to stop yourself. Like, I, I, I literally have people who have like designed their book cover before they've written, you know, more than 25 pages of their draft. So it really is uh, a four stage process. I tell them it starts with, you know, having an idea. Um, that's the first part. I call that the conceived stage where you're just kind of wandering around, you don't know what you're doing, you might be collecting some, you know, notes and it's like, oh my God, this idea is just kind of here and you're not doing a lot with it except dreaming it. Then the next stage I call create, and that's really where you're writing that absolutely god-awful first draft. <laughs> and I tell people, you know, Anne Lamott talks about that shitty first draft, but what people miss in what she's saying is that it it has to be bad. Like the worse it is, the better. Because a lot of times in that terribleness is where the vulnerability is, mm. like where the where the real story is. Like people so often want to make it all better, especially if they're writing memoir. They don't want to offend anybody. Mm. You know, want it all to be well. It doesn't. You know, the heroic journey is never pretty. <laughs> You know, there's always a point in the story where you could lose everything and you have to let that be. You know, you have to let that you have to go all the way down there and be really terrible um, and write some really 
really terrible stuff. Like the book that I'm writing now, as I said, she has five children until the, I'm on the second draft now, but until now, I didn't even know the names of the three middle children. It's like, <laughs> it was kind of this blob. <laughs> and I just left them there. It's like, you know, that's fine. I, you know, they're just kind of there. Um, and, but that, that was okay. I didn't need to know. I needed to know what she did. I needed to know what her husband did, you know, but I didn't need to know. I knew there were five of them, but I just didn't need to know them. So they could just be a blob. Uh, they happen. Now they have names and personalities, but they didn't <laughs> before. So that, you know, that's why, as I said, I call that the create stage. And so you just, you know, have to get through that and not stop yourself and definitely not think about other stages because the crafting stage, which is the next stage, is a completely different stage. So that's when you start worrying about the shape of it. Um, I say basically don't ever worry about grammar or spelling because somebody can fix all that for you. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, oh, my grammar is terrible. Who cares? Do you have a good story? Do you have good characters? You know, that's what people care about. Your, you know, Microsoft Word can fix your grammar for you. So that's just not a deal. So that's just a completely other skill set. And so if people are trying to craft at the same time they're trying to write that first draft, that's just not work. So just separate those stages. And then the very last stage is connecting, which is where you start doing your real polishing and um, thinking about marketing and publishing and choosing a path and um, going for that. That's just a whole different stage. It's like your brain, you, you live, they literally are different parts of your brain that you're using for the different stages. And if you try to use, try to be in two places at the same time, like if you're, you just have a little baby idea, um, and you're thinking about pitching it to agents, you're really going to scare yourself. You know, you'll scare yourself into stopping. It's like, wait, 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 you know, you got to let that whole thing unfold. Oh my gosh. That's so valuable. Even just hearing you talk about that. If people are interested in your coaching services, if they're interested in finding you online or purchasing your books, what do they do and where do they go? They just go to ginger Moran, G I N G E R M O R A N.com. And there I am. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I do a free call with people. I do a strategy session with people. So if they're interested in finding out more, um, I do do a free half hour call with people and often can get people unstuck right there and then. Very cool. Oh, good, good, good. So I will have a link to, um, to gingermoran.com in the show notes for today's episode. And then my last question for you is uh, just what is your favorite thing about writing? Oh, gosh. You know, um, I remember years ago, somebody was interviewing Tom McGuane, and they were saying, you know, writers talk about how painful the process is. And uh, his eyes just kind of rolled up in his head. And he looked like he'd just gone to, he just, he just really looked like he had transcended this, you know, <laughs> earthly life. And he said, I just love writing. And I say it's always, Joan Didion called it the, the moment that she had to go into her study. She called that her moment of low dread, <laughs> which I have to say, I experienced that too. But once I'm in that world, I am just really happy and at home. So I just, I love, 
I love all the stages of it. I love that discovery draft. I love the crafting. It's so satisfying. It's unbelievably hard work, but it's just so satisfying to see it starting to shape up, finding out what those other kids' names were. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, and I actually, you know, I've come to really enjoy the, the marketing because it's about connecting. You know, it's just about, you know, meeting some people and find out if they'd like to read your book. It's mm-hmm. like, that's, it's, that can be fun too. Um, so I, I don't know. I just love it. It's so wonderful to talk to someone else who is just so in love with writing. Like this is just what a great start to my day. And, and hopefully, oh, hopefully a great start to my listeners days as well. Oh. <sighs> Ginger, this has been such an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you so much for for having this podcast and helping, you know, create a community. It's so important. 